0: Welcome to the Persist Podcast. It is my honor to be here today with the Western Municipal Water District Director, Fazia Rizvi. Fazia Rizvi is an engineer, a business owner, and a community advocate. She is a longtime resident of the city of Corona, living there with her family. She was born and raised in Karachi, Pakistan. Having a passion for water resources and commitment to serve her community, Fazia ran for Board of Directors for the Western Municipal Water District and made history by becoming the first Muslim ever to be elected to office in the Inland Empire. She has been heavily involved in the community over the years, being a PTA mom, working for the Interfaith Coalition, and numerous volunteer organizations such as City of Corona's Homeless Task Force, Corona Norco Interfaith Association, Beloved Corona, and Cops and Clergy, just to name a few. She was the first and the only woman elected to be on the executive board for the Islamic Society of Corona Norco in 30 years. During the pandemic, she co-founded the nonprofit For the People Task Force. For the People. To task force has provided essential workers with over 20,000 handmade, hand-sewn masks and has assisted community members with food insecurities and utility debt by hosting over 65 food drives and paying utility bills. Her efforts have helped thousands of families throughout the Inland Empire. Fazia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Denise. I'm glad to be here. It's
1: my honor to be
0: here. Oh, I've been so excited to interview you. So I'm thrilled that you said yes. And, um, you know, for a jumping off point, let's just talk a little bit about who you are. Please tell us a bit about yourself and your path into politics.
1: My political career started after 9-11. When 9-11 happened, I was, fortunately or unfortunately, I was traveling from Karachi, Pakistan. I was in the plane from Karachi, Pakistan to back to California home, right? I had gone visiting my family just for 10 days. My kids, my husband were here in the United States. I was just by myself and I had, you know, I was just visiting and I came, you know, I was traveling and our our plane had to deplane. We had to stop. We had no idea what had happened, Uh, midway through the flight or we just got, you know, nobody would tell us what happened all they said that we had to go back. Uh, and I was like, okay, what's going on? We, and we did not go back to Pakistan. We went to Dubai because we were so far away from Pakistan, but if had to get ourselves out, we were in Dubai. We had to, I had to stay there, uh, for 10 days because all flights were canceled and I was in a foreign country and I you know that I had never been to Dubai in my life we had no idea what was going to happen it was the scariest thing not knowing what's happening at home and you know not not sure if we will be able to get back it was a very scary feeling coming back to USA it was an eye opener for me because everybody looked at me that it was my fault. The, you know, the feeling, the gut punching was just for me, we were home and I, the immigration officer was like, where are you coming from? What have you been doing? And I was like, I went to visit, you know, I went to visit my mom, mom and dad. And the this, just this feeling that the first time, when somebody asked you, what were you doing? What are you doing here? And I'm like, this is home. And it was, it was an eye opener that, that day, that week we found out that it was, you know, we are different, right? We always thought we were American. We came here, we paid our taxes. We, you know, went through the process of becoming American, we took pride in being American, but that day we realized that yes, we're American, but we're different. And that's where I realized that, you know, what is our identity as a Muslim American? How do we define ourselves of, you know, being the good Americans we are, that we are not gonna let ISIS or Al-Qaeda, you know, take give our name. It's our narrative, it's my story, it's my narrative, and I'm not gonna let terrorists tell my story to anybody. And that is where I started my political career and You know, I've been here since I, you know, I have, I've been very civically involved. I've, you know, I've had, you know, talks in my community. I've had civic engagement uh, discussions with my community. Registration, water registration drive has been my biggest success of what I see, how I got my community to realize that, yes, being American, doing great, but we needed to be civically engaged to tell people who we are and what are we about? And I always thought, you know, the media took such a negative narrative about us, that we we have a big burden to change that. And we've been at it since. And I see it, it has changed so much, yet there's so much work to be done. But this is this is America and this is the story for all of us. And you're changing that one day at a time.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that with us. Your story is such a powerful one. And I'm glad that you reminded us that 9-11 was such a pivotal point um, in this nation, you know, unfortunately for, for very negative reasons, right. In terms of the rise of Islamophobia and in your lived experience, certainly, um, you know, shows us that uh, in, in vivid color, right? And mm-hmm. I, I'm just amazed at your path into politics. It's been um, it's been incredible to watch you, uh, and to watch all that you've been able to accomplish. And we're certainly going to talk a bit about uh, the challenges. But I'm I'm curious to know. You know, tell us a bit about what it was like running for this current seat that you hold. Um, you're a director on the Western Municipal Water District. You are the first ever uh, Muslim elected official in the Inland Empire region. You had this historic, amazing election. Uh, so let's start with first. You know what? What does a director do, and what uh, compelled you to run for this seat?
1: So what? what are, you know, water district. We have to. Our main job is to provide safe and clean water for our communities. That is the most important and the biggest job. I really think that we, you know, as a water district, we connect on the environmental section of it, the health part of it, the community service part of it. So we, we believe that, you know, I believe that a water district is the most important, you know, service providers. And I think it's it's something that we don't discuss and we need to have more awareness. We live in a very drought resistant area. We do not have water So how are we bringing water? Where are we bringing water from? We always talk about how expensive water is. Well, we we haven't paid attention from where we are getting our water. How are we making it safe for everybody's everyday use? So these are the policies that we set as directors of how to provide our service to the community and how we can do best on a daily level this last year with the pandemic right and everybody was hit with that but for us you know we had to be making sure that the most important resource water is available to everybody right so it's not only available, it's affordable right this is the biggest thing that we're facing right now as a water district is so many people lost their jobs. Water is so expensive. How do we help our customers, our communities, right? So water utility debt in California is over $1 billion, right? So we are really, really looking at how can we help set policies which can help our community, uh, especially our underserved, underprivileged communities.
0: But yeah, that is such important work. I'm curious to know a bit about why you wanted to run for this position. So,
1: I had the opportunity to work at the desalination plant in Carlsbad. I was there as a, a plant engineer for 5 years, and that's where I really realized, you know, I've been doing this work, how important po- setting policies are and how even the solution for helping or not helping an environment, right? So there were so many intersections we came across. I myself, you know, being a water engineer, did not realize the importance of advocacy of this work, right? For me, as a contractor, as a business owner, my bottom line was how to make more money, right? At one point, we realized that we had to go You know, we had to go to Sacramento. We had to go to the federal level, state level, to bring more resources to the desalination plant, more technology. We need to be ahead of it. I had traveled internationally to see what's happening in water and how are we using water resources and what's going on. I've been to so many conferences, and this is where I realized this is a very important resource that we have never talked about it. Right? And somebody had asked me then that have you ever thought about running for Western Municipal for Water District, this seat? And I said, I didn't even know there was a seat like this, right? We always, you know, coming as a business owner, we always saw the other side of it. When I found out about it, I was like, oh my God, this is what I do on a daily basis to have that and to do this for my community would be an honor. And that is why I decided that This is something I want to do. Running a campaign during a pandemic was so tough, but we made it. We won by 45% of the vote in the district. So I had almost 90,000 votes. Wow. So I'm really, really honored to be representing City of Corona, some part of Riverside, a very small part of uh, Home Gardens and Tonneska Valley.
0: Your story is so inspiring, and especially for the Persist audience. I think that people often think about local government and they think about city council or they think about school board, but you're outlining exactly why it's important to think broader than that too, right? The the water district has such important implications um, for our day-to-day lives. And I am so grateful that you found that position and that you were successful in your race. And you're also a great example of someone who ran for another office, right? You ran for city council, unfortunately didn't win there, but you didn't give up. Uh, I love that you quickly pivoted, thought about what other office you could run for and then just did it right and made it happen. Uh, Thank you. You know, it is important that I would tell anybody,
1: anyone who's listening, don't give up, right? Serving your community is something that, you know, it's, it is. It's hard. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of determination. But one thing is that don't give up. You will find. You will find your way. It's just that. Just believe in yourself and keep doing it. That's what I I tell every young girl, everybody out there that just don't give up. You know the 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 worst thing you can do, you know losing will you know is nothing. But worst thing you can do is give up. So just just hold on to it. You will make it one way or another. And, you know, for me, even this running this time, I did think about if I don't make it, I was like, you know what, at least I tried. So I was ready, whichever way this was going to be, because the ultimate goal was to be able to, you know, serve the community, have a seat at the table, but not giving up.
0: I love that you say uh, the ultimate goal is to serve the community. And that really rings true for everything that I know about you, right? Community service is really central to who you are. I recall that you handmade and coordinated these efforts of handmaking thousands of masks. Very early on during the pandemic, you just went right to work and said, let me, let me do what I can to help the community. And also, I was reading that you started a nonprofit organization. To feed people in need. Uh, please tell us more about these efforts and also what drives that service for you.
1: So, I really, really believe that everybody has a calling in their lives, and community service has been my calling. This was something that I wanted to do. This, um, just a second, I, I am, I'm sorry you're hearing a tug, but. I'm at a warehouse. Our, we finally got a warehouse for our nonprofit. So, this is where I am. So, so yes, so it has been our calling uh, from the beginning. And uh, for me, helping the community is what I wanted to And part of being elected was on the same um, level, saying, serving the community. When the pandemic hit, a friend of mine who's a cardiologist, she, uh, you know, she told me, she said, hey, this, this is what's going on. She said, you know, I'm going to the hospital. We don't have any PPEs. Do you know how to sew a mask? And I was like, I know how to sew, but I don't know how to sew a mask. Right. And she goes, I'm going to send you a video can you do it for me? And I'm like, sure, right? I'm like, I just took it like, okay, I'll do it. This is early on. I went to Joanne's Fabric and I ended up making 12 masks for her. So I give it to her and she's like, oh my God, you're a lifesaver. I'm going to share it with my doctors. I'm like, sure, go ahead. Nothing else, right? No, not more than that. And then she she calls me three days later. She's like, do you have more of those? No, why would, you know? And she goes, the hospital, the nurses are asking for it, so I'm like, okay. And she goes, can you make fifty of for me? And I was like, uh I don't, I, can't. you know, as it is my busy schedule and all that. I'm like, you can't commit to it. And like, let me ask around. Let me ask my friends who knows how to sew. I just put it out there. I'm like. Does anybody know how to sew? And can somebody help me out? I'll bring you, um, you know, I'll just drop off the things. And there are a couple of girls. They're like, sure, we will like to, you know, sew masks. And this is how we started. And every day, I started getting called from people. They're like, I heard you you made masks, and I was like, yeah, I'm just making here and there. And they're like, can you make this so much? And I started getting called from the hospital, from our police, you know, police department, six or seven girls, we were making masks, right? People heard about it, and the you know, the word of mouth just kind of started going around. And we had no idea our mayor at that time, Jim Steiner, and he's like, hey, I heard you're doing it. Can you help us out and make these masks for our senior centers? That was a very coordinated effort. We, we did this April of 2020, which the pandemic had been just one, one month and people were just struggling for everything. We made 2,500 masks for our senior centers and we distributed to every senior center that we knew of in Corona. That was early. And that's where people were like, oh, my God, you know, we really believe that that was kind of something paying, for us paying attention. To our seniors, our community, we ended up making twenty thousand masks. Uh, my volunteers, we were twelve girls, and you know, I would just buy material uh, from Joanne's. I would go to downtown LA. The shops were closed. We would call people. We would beg that this is what I'm doing for the community. We are not char- We did not charge any penny for it. I. It was our time that we would go in the morning, six o'clock, get in line and just just did this. And it was amazing. And you know what I'm really proud of that I wanted to highlight is that, you know, so many of our volunteers, Muslim women, they are so skilled, right? They're home moms, but they were so skilled that they were able to be a part of such a big community, community service that they had no idea. You know, we started like, we started coordinating, we made a group, we were hanging, and, you know, we just, they realized that they have so much potential. And while we were doing these mass projects, we met up with so many senior citizens who were not going out, who had food issues, food insecurities that they, you know, they, they weren't seeing families, they were going through so much, their families who had lost jobs, had they didn't have enough money. You know, they had to decide between food or rent or utilities. And this is something that, you know, it was just, you know, it was hitting us. And while we were out there during the pandemic serving a community, we saw the need and we started connecting. We would call, you know, these corporate companies, the Walmart, the Costco and I'm like, "We, you know, we have this need in the community. We want to do this. Uh, do you have any leftover food we can take?" And this is how we started. And then we applied ourselves for the food to farm to food families program, Mm -hmm. which helped us, uh, you know, which helped us do the food drives. And in one year, we've done 62 food drives. uh, Every uh, in the Inland Empire. So from, uh, you know, Moreno Valley with different school districts, I thought uh, we reached out to school districts because we found, we thought that, you know what, families, you know, the biggest struggle we saw was working families with young kids. Uh, the mom, you know, the you know, during the pandemic, how many women had to get out of the workforce during this issue. And this is something that we saw early on while we were giving out masks. And that's what we thought, that this is something that our community needs. And we are still going on. Thank God things have gotten so much better I, you know, we, we are encouraging, you know, community members to get vaccinated, which has helped the community so we can get back together. But this is, has been this has been a wonderful, wonderful, you know, serving the community, just doing what we can uh, to be a part of it and to show the Muslim people are here mm-hmm. in the community and they, they see the feel the same pain as other people, they're working moms, they're struggling the same as other people, and we feel the pain, and we see the need, Uh, so I wanted to kind of highlight that, yes, you know, I, you know, I do, I'm a Muslim woman, but I am, you know, I'm from Corona, Corona is home, I want to just bring relief to Corona, to the Inland Empire, where I can,
0: Absolutely. Again, such a powerful story. And so much of it, you know, it centralizes women, right? Like, like you alluded to, uh, women have been disproportionately impacted during this pandemic. But I also think it's fantastic that your Muslim community group of women were the people leading this service yeah. effort. Uh, really, you all have done such amazing work throughout this pandemic. I think we should remind the, the listeners that you are in the warehouse where your nonprofit is his house, which is why there's a bit of background noise. You never seem to be far from the service work, which is incredible. But, you know, I, I think it's also incredible that you're able to talk about these issues openly uh, because that's, that's what's important. You know, when we think about women in politics, we know that women in politics often face more harassment and criticism. I heard some stories about what your campaign was like, and I was so horrified about what you endured. And I would love for you to share a bit about your experience as a female Muslim candidate for local office, especially being the first Muslim elected official in the inland region. Tell us what the campaign trail was like.
1: Oh, the campaign trail was hard. You know, I always said that, yes, uh, it is so hard for women of color to be in politics and I, you know, I always wonder what is it that, that just, you know, what is it? We are so capable. We are in the corporate world. We're doing amazing thing in the world. Yet we are so hesitant in politics, right? You're still, you know, we're not there. We're just emerging, but yet there's so much, more we can do and we so what is the reason and running for office made me realize that it is it is daunting it takes you know it takes everything out of you and your family right it's not about you only it's about a commitment from your family a commitment from your community it was challenging even just the way I look right I wear this hijab and it is it is, uh, it was. I did not realize it, but there is still so much uh, uh hatred because of the way I look. Just not being a female, but a, you know, a visible Muslim female was something that I faced on a daily basis. I'd not, you know, I had, you know, I was just campaigning as everybody does, but I had death threats against me. Uh, I had not, I was doing, uh, um, you know, canvassing and somebody had unleashed a dog at me saying get out of this country. And that was such a scary moment for me. I, you know, knowing who I am, we never, I never went out alone, but I was canvassing. I was talking to somebody and I went to the neighbor and they unleashed a dog. I had to run out of the building. I had to call the cops and I had to call, my daughter was down the street i had to call her and it was it was terrifying and at that moment i was like when will you know is it enough is it uh you know at what point do i stop saying that it's not worth serving the community but then i was like oh but then whoever is doing this they will win right yeah. and when we were sending text messages there was one person who had been harassing me at one point, they did that literally threatening messages. So I had to go back to the police. And I was like, uh, last 10 days of uh, of my campaign, I wasn't even allowed to go out anywhere by myself. I was not allowed to open my door or my mail. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I even had a DA's investigation against me saying that, I'm not an engineer and I'm faking to just get elected. So I had to go back, get my degrees and prove to, you know, prove to the DA that that, that was not the case. Mm-hmm. So these are just the big highlights that I remember. But every day I would talk to, you know, somebody and they're like, yeah, I will never vote for you because you're Muslim or I had to really explain to people that, you know, what Sharia is and how am I, you know, how does uh, Sharia does not affect us and how I had to take my religion out of local politics, explain it to people of how does it not impact me. And these are things, now I can talk about it, but it was emotionally very draining. There were times and my family were like, why are you doing this? Right. I'm like, my mom would call me from Pakistan. She's like, yes, you're amazing. We know what your potential is, but do you want to put your life in danger to do this? And I, I would always say, mom, you know, that's what they want. They want us not to win. They, I want to be the story where young girls can look up to me and say, she did this. We can do this. Right. No matter what, she's done it. Why can't I do it, mom? And that was my reason every day to get up, to get on the phone, to call people, to remind them to vote for me, to canvas out there, tell them how important it is for us women of color for bringing a different perspective to the decision-making table. We've been left out and it's time we be there. And that was my motivation. And that is what kind of guiding me of what to do and how to you know, how to uh, serve my community and how to be able to make decisions on their behalf, having the experience that I have.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Um, I know that that is a lot, an exceptional amount of harassment and trauma to experience during the campaign. I just think that you are one of the strongest, fiercest, you know, most inspirational people that I've ever met. And, um, you know, I think that it's important to to note that it is harder for women, especially women of color in the political arena. One of my uh, mentors was telling me recently, you know, like the bigger the disruptor you are, the bigger the target is on your back, especially for women in politics, especially because this is an arena that wasn't built for us, right? For someone like you, you're paving this incredible path for people to follow after you. Right, because of your intersecting identities as a woman, as a Muslim woman, um, you know, as the first Muslim, you know, elected official in the region, this is a very important. Uh, path that you're paving for people and i'm sorry that it has been so hard but thank you for sharing your story and thank you for um sharing your bravery with us and your reasons why you felt like it was important to uh to not let them win and to keep going that's incredibly powerful thank
1: you thank you denise it's it's been a wonderful journey uh it is uh you know The harder it was, the worthwhile it was that, you know, knowing that, you know, I am able to make the decisions, I am able to tell my community what I see on the water district and how I can improve their lives is, it's very rewarding.
0: Yeah, I'm so grateful that you're in that role and that um, you're sharing your story with us because I think that one of the hard things about this harassment that has, you know, existed for women in politics forever, right? Ever since women began entering the political arena. I think one of the hardest things is um, finding platforms to talk about it, right? And getting people to understand that That this is a real thing that happens to us, but we need more people to stand up and say no, this is wrong, and find ways to combat this type of harassment and these threats, and to make it a safer space for all women, right, and all people with identities to run for office. Because you're right, representation absolutely Mm -hmm. matters. Matters. Conversation at your (laughs) water district is undoubtedly different because you're there sharing your perspective. That's huge. So thank you, thank you for sharing that. I'm so excited to ask you this question given everything that we've just discussed you know one of my favorite authors brene brown has a podcast called unlocking us and a question she asks every guest is uh, one that you know like i said i'm excited to have you answer the question is what do people often get wrong about you
1: my biggest thing is being a muslim woman wearing a hijab people people always thought the first impression they get is I'm this oppressed person who you know who who's been told what to do right is that's the biggest misconception people get uh, and i've I've told them right like yes, my religion tells me the way of life, but it doesn't tell me address code so the way I've decided you know, I've decided to cover myself. It's my own choice. Mm-hmm. Nobody has forced me to do this mm-hmm. and nobody, uh, you know, nobody asked me. So for me, it's my choice. And uh, that is something that I always want to tell people that, you know what? It was never nobody in my community. It was not my husband. It was <laughs> nobody. Out. But this is my choice. I looked the way the way I look, but you know what, it does not affect who I am. How will I make decisions and how important role in the community is. So this is something that I wanted to tell all the women that, you know what, be proud of who you are Own your, you know, your own your identity is what I want to tell, you know, everybody is be comfortable it doesn't matter you know who you are you know your potential and just go with that right that's 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 what i always tell people you know as an engineer people people say, oh you're an engineer and i always tell them right for uh, uh you know pakistan has more per capita women engineer than united states right mm-hmm. but this is a misconception we everybody has that Muslim Pakistani women are just suppressed. They do what their husband tells us. You no, know, we are business owners, we are engineers. Now we are in politics and we're trying to make a, for this world a better place, whichever way we can.
0: That is fantastic. Uh, you've been giving such great advice throughout all of your answers. So I'm just going to transition quickly to our last question since we're running out of time. Uh, what do you know about politics now that you wish you had known before you decided to run for office? That it's tough, it's hard, but this is
1: something that that is needed, right? That for us to be there is so much more needed than we anticipated. It is, this is something that I didn't realize that having a seat at the table is so important for, you know, those decisions. I did not, now the decision I'm see, seeing and making Is changing people's lives, right? I did not, I didn't think, I always was the girl who was like, oh no, I don't want to run for anything. I can do such a great job being behind the scenes, you know, doing the backyard, back of work. But realizing that, you know, having a seat at the table is so much important and necessary and needed at this time. And this is something that I always tell people that, yes, when you're ready to serve the community, do it. But running for office, being in politics uh, is very much needed. Uh, I wish I had started this a long time ago, but here we are. And, you know, you're doing an amazing job. You know how Tough it is, but it is so much needed. And I always tell everybody local politics is the most important politics you can do. You know, making an impact on people's daily lives is is the most important thing. And that's where the most important decisions are being made.
0: I could not agree more. Fazia Rizvi, thank you for sharing your story and for such a powerful conversation today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Denise. Thank you for having
1: me. It's my honor to talk to everybody and
0: be here. The Persist podcast is hosted by me, Denise Davis, director of the UCR Women's Resource Center, and is produced by Rosa Tejeda and the staff in the UCR Women's Resource Center. Check out our Instagram pages for links to more episodes at UCRWRC and at UCRPersist. If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, please email us at wrc at We hope that this podcast inspires you and those around you to get involved in the political arena because we know that who is at the table absolutely matters. Finally, if you have any ideas for who a future guest should be on the podcast, feel free to reach out and let us know.